Welcome to the Weekend Sports Buzz. I am Kelly Patrick, joined in studio this morning by the lovely Ashley Miller and also by our man Mike Gandolfo, who is joining the Sunday show on a a permanent basis going forward. So we're looking forward to a very star-studded lineup of Ashley Miller, Kelly Patrick, Mike Gandolfo. I'm just excited that we're going to have like a full, solid, you know, at least four segments talking Kentucky football because of oh, the yeah. dominance Are you crazy? That was. Yeah. Are you crazy? The dominance that was Kentucky football last year. Let, me, ke- oh let, my let gosh. me see something real quick. Kelly, let I'm me see. about to throw Ashley, up. talk right into your mic. Let me see if I can hear you. One, two, three. I, hear okay, I can hear you. You can okay. hear me? Awesome. Did you hear me say I'm about to throw up? I heard you say oh that. Gosh. and I. I you know what? The only you didn't com- warn me. The only comforting thing about that was was clearly, clearly, Mike was being one hundred percent sarcastic. Absolutely cons- not. <laughs> no, if you saw his face, he was dead serious when he said that. I heard someone say Kentucky's going to be better than than Louisville. Yes, uh, yesterday. I don't think that. I mean, listen. I honestly don't feel the difference is all that great. This is what I'm going to say about that. Louisville's definitely better. I don't think the gap is as big as Louisville fans want to think it is. That's but, there's some element of that, I'm sure. By the time we play, this is what happens to UK. This is what's going to happen to UK. The fans are all excited right now. I mean, I guess if I was a Kentucky football fan after watching that game, I'd be slightly energized. And then going into a conference play, they're going to be on this high horse that they've you know, we we're we're becoming a football program, and we're good. We spent all these millions of dollars on this pro on this you know complex, and then they're going to get in the SEC and start kicking, getting their butts kicked. And then by the time they get to Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, there's going to be this team that once started with, oh, we're great, we're almost as good as Louisville. <laughs> I mean, Papa John's Cardinal Stadium with their tail between the legs. No, see, the difference is I don't think that's the way. Kelly knows I'm. It a happens very, every year. I'm a very realistic UK fan. That's why I knew uh, you were being sarcastic earlier. Well, I mean, I do think that. I mean, I, from the dominant standpoint, I. But listen, there is nothing short of just amazing of the turnaround that happened yesterday. I don't care who the opponent is, because Kentucky's played really bad opponents in the past. This is a team last year that had 30 touchdowns. Period. Not one defensive touchdown. Yesterday they had eight touchdowns. So you almost had a you had what like almost a third of your overall touchdown production from all of last year in one game. You get your first defense touchdown, and for the first time in three years, Kentucky has playmakers on the field. And I just was really excited about the things that I was seeing. There's not a whole lot you can take away from the score of that game. I mean, Kentucky should dominate, but when you look at how the offense was flowing, how Patrick Tolles looked. All these things kind of coming together. The fact that they scored like the most points they've scored in the game since 2000, I think it was 2009. I got to look up all these notes. Uh, I mean, they just, uh, it, it, to me, it, it, was, it was a huge step in the right direction yesterday. Sure. I, I believe they, you don't really have anywhere you can go but up. You haven't won a SEC game in over two years. But Vandy's looming, and Vandy lost the Temple. Yeah. Mike, in our previous show, was it last week, we discussed the, Emphasis and the overall importance of 
registering that one SEC win this year. Mike, you're not expecting Kentucky to come out and win six or seven games, are you? Absolutely not. I think four or five is, is should be where it is, and I think that I don't think six is out of the realm of possibility if they were able to sneak up on somebody and get one they weren't supposed to get. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is is they can be way improved over last year, and the record's not going to show it because the quality of competition that Kentucky plays versus the quality of competition that Louisville plays, even this year in the ACC, is that much different. Isn't that much different? Yes. Is that, is. is that what you're saying? Yes. I, I mean, there's no... As far as strength of schedule rankings, I saw some actual numbers, mm-hmm. and it is a bigger discrepancy between the two than I anticipated. I honestly believe if Kentucky had Louisville schedule, Kentucky would go bowling this year. Like, no doubt about it. Mm. I think that's to be determined. I'll give, I will say that... Like, I'll agree with what you said, Mike. I think that you guys have come a long way from what you guys looked like this time last year. It'll be interesting to see week three, four, five, if we still feel the same way. So, I don't know. I don't know about that. I do say that, I mean, there's no doubting the strength of the SEC in football. Oh, no. None at all. Clearly, the best conference. With the exception of Vandy, Vandy was the only loss an SEC team had in a non-conference battle in week one of course but Florida ended up uh, not even playing so because uh, that game got rained out or postponed because of the storms they were having but uh, I mean pretty amazing show against uh, for the SEC especially when you had matchups like West Virginia and Alabama and LSU and Wisconsin and Georgia and Clemson and uh, I think that I don't think they're the top teams as dominant in the SEC as it's been the last seven or eight years and I don't think the SEC is going to win the national title this year but the overall depth of the FCC is is just unbelievable. We are the Weekend Sports Buzz coming at you every Sunday from 10 until noon here on 1450 WXVW. We are a very tight-knit team going forward. we got Mike Gandolfo, Ashley Miller, myself, Kelly Patrick. But on the, the, the website side of things, we have our man John Hancock and Matt McCarthy, Shane Stovall, Tyler Bloyd, contributing to the 1450 community within the KentuckySports.co material. So we got a lot of great coverage out there. And I'm very excited about the future of our show. The Weekend Sports Buzz is brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Call 502-587-0041 to reach Brandon. He is the best personal injury attorney in the city of Louisville. You have a a fender bender, have an injury, you have a, a medical malpractice, Medical malpractice question for Brandon, give him a call. Any type of question is, is valid, 502-581. I'm sorry, 502-587-0041 to reach Brandon and his team. we got a couple great guests lined up. I'm excited. we got Jeff good. Greer at 1040 of the Courier-Journal. Louisville Beat Rider. Louisville Beat Rider. At 1130, we've actually got Alex Dono. The host of the weeknight show on 560 WQAM in Miami. I was actually fortunate to be on his show this this past Wednesday, previewing the game tomorrow between the Hurricanes and the Cardinals. He got a chance to go, as he put it, behind enemy lines and hear about the Bobby Petrino offense. He was asking me different questions about, you know, was there any legitimacy to the Todd Grantham versus... Bobby Petrino spat that was reported by SportsIllustrated.com. 
And I said, I'm sure there is. There's no question about it. And you guys tell me how you feel about this. My, my feeling about football coaches, probably even above any other sport, is these guys have always coached young men. They're very, they need to be very competitive or they're not going to be very good. And if they come across rough and maybe rude and ruthless, that's okay. What you're expected to do as a head football coach is win games. You don't need to be a nice guy. Steve Cragthorpe was a nice guy. And we know where, where that went. We know where that went. Bobby Petrino is not warm and fuzzy. Not at all. Not at all. He does, What I like about him, and I actually admire it, now, is listen, he, he doesn't humor time, the idea of being it. He doesn't try to pretend that he is. At the same time, though, John L. Smith was a nice guy. But I think he knew how to ratchet up that intensity level when he needed to ratchet up that intensity level. John L. Smith turned out to be somewhat of a whack job. Uh, don't talk about my boy John L. that way. I mean, he—that's my cigar smoking buddy. So you know, we're, we're not gonna—we're not gonna go there. John L. He did great things for the University of Louisville, and he was a great coach and great radio personality. I like him, but I mean, he's an interesting guy. He is definitely a dis- different different man. So the uh, but I think being around a lot of football coaching staffs, you know, uh, through for a long time, you're always gonna have those flare ups. That occur when the coaches are in the coach's locker room, especially between the offensive and defensive coaches who want to point fingers at each other. And, you know, if you could get your defense to do this or if you could get your offense to do that, and you mean, I think that's, that's pretty commonplace and probably just was overheard by the wrong person. And people, uh, you know, let's, let's be realistic. There's a lot of people covering sports who don't really necessarily understand those kind of things. And there's a lot of. I'm sorry. There's a lot of people in what that cover sports that don't don't understand. That's a fair point. What happens behind the closed doors between coaches? You know, I mean, I, Ashley, you were a, get blown a out college athlete. Yeah. Mike, you coached collegiately. There was probably plenty of times, and I don't know. I didn't play sports in college, where there was maybe an argument or a fight between two teammates. And that doesn't necessarily need to be public knowledge, does it? No, not at all. I mean, and I think to piggyback on that, there's a lot of people that report sports in general that have no idea what they're talking about. They're reading a script. <laughs> um, or they're just, they're, you know, and not that I'm much different, but they're just regular fans that are just, you know, from their point of view, what happens. So I agree with Ashley. Yeah, so I think that the nature of sports is so competitive that, you get to a point, especially if you're a very competitive person. Like, there's times where teammates yell at each other. There's times the coaches yell at each other because they really they they really want to win. And I feel like that's part of the game. And I think, you know, even going further, there's times when I would have a practice or something else like that, and you were trying to make it so intense that you're hoping that something like that boils over, that you want to get, you know, the players to that point. And sometimes as a coach, it's easy to get caught up in that as well. That's true. Um, I also look like, in terms of um, personality types and football coaching. I always thought, I always think that there's the side of the football coach on the field, like on the sideline, and then there's a side of the coach that sits down in your living room when they're recruiting your son. Um, and they're always two different people. <laughs> so I always sure. felt like football coaches, especially more probably than any other sport, have the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, great um, personality. Yeah. Yeah, Gotta I mean, be. definitely. You don't want to come into Which someone's, scary. sit on their couch with their mother in some rough part of town, maybe, 
if they, and just start yelling at their son. If Bobby Petrino sat on your living room couch and said, Kelly Patrick, I want your son right now. <laughs> what would happen. you, I mean, seriously, what would you think? You'd dial it down. You would say, this guy's nuts. I and, would, I, if my son was a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or a running back, I would be like, look at this guy's track record on the field. You would, you would, you would dismiss the fact that he seems like a total crazo in your living room. You don't want Mike Rice? <laughs> was that the the guy's name at, at where was it? Uh, Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah, right. Rutgers. You don't want that. You don't want physical greatest abuse. Saturday, one of the greatest Saturday Night Live spoofs of all time when they did the Melissa McCarthy female version spoof of that. That was awesome. She's like throwing <laughs> toasters and. <laughs> running them over with golf carts, and it was fantastic. You don't want them doing physical harm to your kids. No. You don't want anything like that. No. But. You probably don't want them sleeping with volleyball coaches either or anything like that either. Well. So. <laughs> well. That wouldn't be one of my concerns. <laughs> but that's just me. Everybody's different. Um, so, it's an interesting thing. He asked me if Bobby Petrino and Todd Grantham, if I thought it was a made-up story or, or fabricated to any extent at all? I said, no, I don't think it is. If you look at Todd Grantham, look him up on YouTube. Uh, who was the Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt coach last year? Franklin? James Franklin. Yeah. James Franklin. You see Todd Grantham, James Franklin. YouTube it. They almost just ripped each other's heads off. And you can read Grantham's lips. Todd Grantham's a very highly paid defensive coordinator, a million dollars a year. Bobby Petrino handpicked him. Grantham's brothers on the staff. These guys are all friggin' hotheads. I mean, right. you got Bobby Petrino, Paul Petrino. They all come from these family uh, atmospheres of just. I can only imagine how the locker rooms are. I, I'm. I wish Paul Petrino was on this staff. Let's, let's, but I mean, this is a crazy atmosphere that they are are promoting here. And sure, they're going to blow up on each other. Bobby doesn't care as long as UofL's defense stops somebody. And I think that's the bigger concern right now. If I'm a UofL fan, after watching. People trying out three four defenses this whole weekend. They are just, switching from four to three, four three to three four. And the three fours that did not have a dominant nose tackle, and Louisville's got no one who's played that position that can understand the um, that can understand the gaps, that can understand the hand placement, that understands the technique. Well, D'Angelo Brown's not gaps. a bad nose tackle. He hasn't played it before. He hasn't been in that scheme. We don't know though. I mean, and so South Carolina goes to this three four. Thinking that that's the best thing for them to do. They got smoked. They got smoked. Someone, someone looks like a genius. It looks like maybe Johnny Manziel was just a product of a great system. Well, what do you think of that? That's a whole different oh topic. Gosh, that's a whole Kevin different topic. <laughs> Kevin Sumlin and Bobby Petrino are now on like this whole different offensive juggernaut. Just after one game. No, Kevin Sumlin's been good. And he's to had that, that reputation, yeah. but, but Johnny Manziel was there. But so now you. It's, it, for would a couple be the, years. it would be the equivalent, like if, you know. Everyone's saying that Charlie Bridgewater was great on his own and kind of carried Charlie Strong. Well, Charlie Strong would have stayed, and, and then Will Gardner would have had incredible offensive success. Yeah. I mean, you've got to start saying, okay, this guy knows how to coach offensive football, right? Someone's done it time and time and time again. And, um, you know, he was at Oklahoma as the offensive coordinator when their offense was really rolling. I mean, this guy knows how to coach offensive football. And then the coach at Michigan State's got to be the guy on the defensive side of the ball as far as that goes. As the as the guru of 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 offense and defense, it'll be interesting. Grantham and Petrino have a lot of pressure on them to perform. You got to have a defense that 
They lost Marcus Smith. A lot of people focus on the fact that we lost Teddy Bridgewater. We're going to be going without Devontae Parker. Calvin Pryor's gone. We lost Calvin Pryor. We lost Akeem Smith. We lost Marcus Smith, the first-round pick to the Eagles, who would have been perfect for this 3-4 scheme. But, you know, the, the big issue there, though, is Louisville's not playing, with the exception of Florida State. They're not playing these dynamic offenses. Although Notre Dame looked pretty good yesterday, and they look like they're going to be, if their line situation gets worked out, they could be probably the second-best offense that Louisville faces. So then you've got to say, okay, we've got, can Bobby Petrino's offense outscore someone else's offense? And I'm most of the time, that's going to be a yes. That's probably a safe bet, yes. I maybe they're just gonna say screw defense. We'll just try to outscore everybody. Well, that's exactly what I think is gonna happen. Mm, I mean, I you're like gonna see how mummy type scores. Which is what, um, sad as it is to say, our fans really, really like because that was always the knock on on um, Charlie Strong is that they didn't feel like the offense was beautiful enough. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't feel like we were in the end zone enough and. <laughs> Um, interesting. I think it also would be interesting to see um, or think about, hypothesize, what it would have looked like to see Teddy Bridgewater and Bobby Petrino. Yeah. Like, there's no way that guy's not a number one draft pick at that point because he would No way, he's not the Heisman. He's sure, the- sure. He's a Heisman winner, for sure. Um, so, I think Will Gardner's actually in probably the best spot of his life, and he's probably counting his lucky stars. Could you imagine the, if Louisville was going into this first game without Teddy Bridgewater, without Devontae Parker... And without Bobby Petrino, nah. I mean, little fans would be freaking out right now. It would Charlie be a whole uh, different story. We've been freaking out. We've been freaking out since basketball season. Yeah, ended. but Bobby Petrino's yeah. there, and no one cares that Devontae Parker's not there, and no one cares that Teddy Bridgewater's not there. I mean, they're if, like, oh, it's okay. But I yeah. won't say Devontae Parker. No one cares. He's, he's not the, their highest draft prospect. He, he very likely will be a first or second round draft pick, and they'll plug someone else in there and have very similar. They will, results. whether it be Matt Milton or Gerald Christian, the tight end transfer from Florida. Um, they have guys. The, the difference between last year and this year, I think, is we saw Sean Watson and, and Charlie Strong and Teddy Bridgewater rely on this jump ball approach. Just throwing it up and uh, but now Devontae you got, Parker just go and get it. But now you got the absolute best guy in college football in finding the pockets of space in a defense. So you don't need the jump ball. You don't. Because you're going to have a guy standing there with no one within five yards of him. And he's going to catch a pass, and he's going to get 7 to 12 yards every time. And it's basic stuff, really. He runs an eye formation with fullbacks. He's got running backs coming in and out. Then the next play sometimes. Could be the same play in a different formation. Uh, same play in a different formation. Exactly. That, that very well may one running back, but you're still running it up the gut. Or you got five wide receiver. You know, I mean, it's, it's not gimmicky because he does a bunch of pro-style stuff. He just has such a wide variety of what Bobby Petrino and this offense, what they do. That it's not Rich Franklin spread offense gimmick material. It's just it's just a, a firm grasp of defenses and game planning and 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 knowing how to run multiple formations. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna head to a break. We do have a, a great show lined up today as we have Jeff Greer, the beat writer for the cards for Courier Journal coming on at ten forty AM. Eleven thirty AM we'll have our man Alex Dono. And the rest of the time, we're going to talk Kentucky football. And then we're going to get to Kentucky football, because I know that's what everybody wants to hear. (laughs) That is what drives ratings. We're going to head to a break, and we will be back with more Weekend Sports Buzz.
Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. I am Kelly Patrick. Alongside Ashley Miller and Mike Gandolfo. I am Kelly Patrick. No. The real Kelly Patrick? The real one. The Kelly Patrick. Oh, the, hap- the uh, Kelly, yeah. The Kelly, which happens to be at the Kelly Patrick is my Twitter. What? Username. <laughs> yeah. The Kelly Patrick. You know, because there's many imposters. Yeah. There is. There are. Can why, you explain this why, music to me, please? Why wouldn't there be? Okay. He's I'd been like, on this weird, ever this, the last couple weeks, he's been doing this weird, like, you know, fishy, Grateful Dead kind of stuff. So. What's I'll, going on with Can I explain Kelly? it to you? Please, please explain. One of the biggest rock bands in the world happens to be my morning jacket from Louisville. Mm. And that's who I've been playing. Slow, this, is, this is a great song here. It, it, it is. It's got a great little you know riff. So I was nice just kind of hanging out in the den and Jim James, relaxing. the lead singer, graduated a year behind our man Mike Gandolfo at St. X. At St. X, and I saw a ranking from Rolling Stone that that ranked My Morning Jacket as one of the top ten bands to see live in the world. Wow, that's impressive. And the majority of people in Louisville don't give them. I mean, they don't really get much much credit around here. No, they really don't. You know, I mean, because I think it's we're a mainstream kind of town when it comes to that stuff, right? You know, if you're not somebody they hear on the radio a ton or something, like, you know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, for whatever reason, Jim James and his name recognition in the city of Louisville isn't what I think it should be. So, if you guys have recommendations or requests for our songs, please let me know. Be more than happy to play them, Mike. Ashley, yes. Mike, I assume you just do Rocky music. <laughs> no, no, I do. I do more than rock music. Yes, I like. I'm pretty. I'm pretty versatile. So I like most music. Old school rap. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I assume that. Yeah. Due to your age. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was rude. Wow. Hey. Shots fired. Gloves. Gloves are off here on the, the weekend sports bus. I'm, I'm not that much older than you. I know. I'm All just right. kidding. The weekend sports bus is brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Call five zero two five eight seven. 0041 to reach the best personal injury attorney in the city of Louisville. We got a great couple guests lined up today. We have Jeff Greer, the beat writer for the Louisville Cardinals, coming up in about 10 minutes. And we've got Alex Dono, radio host in Miami, coming up at 1130. So we got a lot of time to prepare and to discuss this Louisville versus Miami Hurricanes game tomorrow. A lot on the line, tons of storylines. About 30 guys on the Louisville roster are from the South Florida area. 30. That's a lot of guys. Howard Schnellenberger built both programs. Yep. This and this weekend is kind of a culmination of Howard's vision. I mean, just to, to be able to get to this point where they're in this conference and, and playing these this type of schedule. Because, uh, listen, I, although I don't think Louisville's schedule is really all that tough, it is definitely much improved over what it was. And there's some names on there that are that you know garner a lot of excitement. And uh, <clears throat> when Howard sat back and said we're on a collision course for the national championship or whatever. This is this is a big step in that right direction. And uh I don't I I don't see why Louisville couldn't do it. I mean, especially the fact that we have a four team playoff, which will we agreed will will inevitably lead to an eight team playoff. Okay. It could be a six team first though. I think it could go to six. six. Team. Okay. Give number one and number two a bye. That, that would be, I think, a reward for... That would be fine by me. Having a great regular season. I, I kind of would like that whole idea, but the, I think eventually you want all five conference champions in. You want to be able to have room if uh, mid-major goes undefeated and then, you know, 
two or three other SEC teams. Yeah, Wait. I think, of course, SEC teams. <laughs> I just, I, um, I really do hope it evolves into at least eight. Because I think I don't want more than eight. Why not? Because I mean, at some point, it gets watered down as far as like the teams that really have a should have a chance at the national title. But how do you determine that? Because I think what makes like with basketball, of course, I think what makes March Madness so exciting is that anybody can win. You, of course, you have to do something. You have to win your conference during yeah, win your conference. Um, But how many conferences will not have representation in the tournament? But generally in football, I mean, you can't do what you do in basketball sure, sure. in football. Sure. But generally in football, if you're looking for making the regular season more valuable, you can generally get to a discussion of about five teams of who deserves to be considered the national title According to the regular season. A group of people that sit in a room and make that decision, which I always feel like is so subjective. And I think that's probably... You'd like, rather have the computers do it? No, I'd rather it be... The best teams in each conference playoff. Well, I know that sucks for SEC because you guys have so many teams that are really, really good. But there's going to be so many teams that never get a shot just because they're. I will. I will totally agree that the playoff system, especially the four-team playoff, is completely unfair for the little guy. Mm-hmm. The little guy actually gets probably less of a chance than they did in the BCS. Mm-hmm. I will think though that generally we're at one or two little guys that does, ever deserves a chance, and if we got to eight, I think there's room for those. At least one of those little guys mm. to be in the picture. Yeah. I just don't think that you know you really need to extend it past that, um, and just the the matchups you would have for three straight weeks in an eighteen playoff. You really can't go past three weeks. Yeah, I mean the NCAA lot. tournament is three weeks mm-hmm. in basketball, so I don't know how they could really go past three weeks. Also, a rematch of the bowl game from last year for yes. the Cards, where mm-hmm. they they beat handily beat the Miami Hurricanes. The Hurricanes are now starting. A true freshman, a quarterback. But they got Duke Johnson back. They do have a, a running back back. They lost a few of their starters off the offensive line, but they still have. Not just a running back. I mean, Duke Johnson, it, it will be yeah. the best running back on the field, no matter how good L fans think that their running back core is, which to me, by the way, Kentucky has better running backs than L. Duke Johnson is could be a difference maker, especially just from the controlling the line of scrimmage aspect of this. Fair enough. Duke Johnson certainly a playmaker. Michael Dyer appears to most likely yeah, not right. be playing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not been made official. But if Michael Dyer were playing, he won the MVP of the 2010 national championship. I know that that's probably beaten into the ground, Mike. No, no, I mean, that's, that's significant legit. though. It is much more accomplished good, resume than anyone on the Kentucky running back I, depth chart. I don't disagree because Kentucky obviously has not been the national championship. Dominique Brown, single, I would say about single-handedly, beat the Kentucky Wildcats one year. Braylon Hurd yesterday, two touchdown runs, two two runs, two touchdowns, 116 total yards. Wow. 73 yards, 43 yards. Doesn't even get touched. I mean, I, I, they got, and then they got JoJo Kemp, they got Josh Clemens, this Michael Horton kid coming up. I mean, they Boone Williams, they, they ran so many different guys yesterday, and they looked so, I thought they looked phenomenal. I so, mean, there is no air raid. They're, they're going to be a run-heavy team. So for you, Mike, um, as a Kentucky fan, what was the single most impressive thing about yesterday's football game for you? Uh, the balance right, and the fact that, that they have playmakers back on. They have a play. You know, ever since Randall Cobb left, they haven't had really that playmaker. Now I feel like they've got a couple of playmakers. 
that are developing on at the receiver position. They've got a couple playmakers developing at the running back position. They've got a couple playmakers that are developing on defense. I mean, A.J. Stamps made one of the best interceptions you're going to see all day yesterday, and then he had a tackle for loss that was just as big as a highlight for me. I just think uh, if they can kind of figure out their linebacker situation, uh, their defense got whipped on the line of scrimmage, which is you can't do that against Tennessee Martin and expect anything less than the SEC. I think the SEC is going to be able to really run the ball really effectively against Kentucky unless they kind of start figuring some things out. I mean, there, it wasn't all it wasn't all roses, but it was it was a pretty good performance. No question about it. You say it wasn't an air raid style, and that they're somewhat leaving the air raid. Did they use the air raid horns? They they do every time they score. They use the air raid horns. So like they had six rushing touchdowns, and every that, only that one means passing. air raid, right? That that's what the, I thought. The horns. So I mean, I think that. Kentucky knows where their strength is. Kentucky has a really solid offensive line coming back with a lot of young guys back in the, the offensive line. They had all five starters back, and one of them didn't play yesterday because he was suspended. But then they have uh, so they have a solid group of offensive linemen, and they got a solid group of running backs. Six rushing touchdowns by uh, four different people, I think. Uh, I had to check the stats. I mean, that's that's pretty legitimate. So you say six different touchdowns? Six rushing touchdowns by four players. That's true, yeah. Two guys Braylon two Hurd, Mikkel Horton, JoJo Kemp, and Tolles ran one in. So Tolles had a hell of a game. Tolles' touchdown run, by the way, was 23 yards, and that guy's six five and can freaking scoot. That was a big part of him coming out of high school right. in the Highlands is he not only had a, a cannon for an arm, but for a big guy, he was actually very versatile and he, i forget how many but he was putting up video game like numbers in high school yeah absolutely i mean he was he wasn't as uh, highly touted as drew barker but he wasn't far not off not far behind no absolutely not yeah i i, I think the guy uh, you know i hopefully he has a great season and he looked he looked the part i mean he his accuracy needs some a little bit of help you know lots of times the ball came in low uh, which i'd rather have the ball coming low than high cuz high means picks so sure 20-29, 377 yards passing is not a bad debut regardless of who you're playing. And the other thing that I really liked yesterday, Kentucky last year, 15 turnovers forced the entire season. They, they forced five turnovers yesterday. I mean, that's that's pretty big. So Yeah, definitely definitely a marked improvement from I can tell Ashley before. could care less about yeah. any of this mm, stuff. So. Mm, so exciting. <laughs> so today, as of today, well, I guess – Maybe I'll ask you this next week, but I'll ask you now and then I'll ask you next Sunday. Um, if you had to make a prediction right now today on August the 34th or 31st, I'm looking at the four in 2014, um, how would you predict end of the season uh, Louisville Cardinal versus Kentucky Wildcat football game to go as of right now today? I think it's Louisville wins, but it's closer than people think. Um, Guys, sorry to interrupt. I want to encourage our listeners. 502-384-1450 is the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln buzz line. We've got plenty to talk about this morning. A couple great guests lined up. We're going to head to the buzz line now where we have a, a caller. Frank, how you doing this morning, Frank? Hi. Um, I just want to say that the person who says U of A's uh, running backs are better than U of L, every time you watch that game against UT Martin, it wasn't like they were playing a powerhouse, and there were a lot of started problems blocking for them. So, uh, I, I don't that, know what drug he's taking, but to say that anybody on that team is better than Shawnee Brown, better than Lamb, better than Dyer is just insane. 
Braylon Hurd is the best running back in the state of Kentucky. Better than Dominique Brown yes. and better than... Braylon Hurd is the best running back in the state of Kentucky. Based on what? You got to win on your numbers. Based on Hope Springs Colonel? Well, I mean, have, come on, man. We'll have to see. You got to leave those. We'll have to see. Because I... And, 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 the best quarterback that's ever played. I don't know. So it's you guys, you have no proof for it. He's cutting. He's cutting. Let me, come on, give me some numbers. Give me some numbers. He, 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 did, did, he did run for 116 yards yesterday. On two carries. On two carries. And then he kinda, he's kind of tweaked. He, he, got, he's a little, he got a little banged up. He was in a boot after the game, so they didn't want to push it after that once the game was out. But the guy had more explosive speed than anyone I've seen on UofL's running back core. And there's if you didn't see the runs, you don't know. And that that was the report coming out of, that was the reports coming out of all football. He's a transfer from Nebraska. It's a guy that Bo Polina once wanted to stay in Nebraska. This kid can absolutely huh? scoot. What? Well you're you're losing all your top recruits because they even see that you're you're not doing anything. You're oh. well fired. Um you're, most of your guys are starting to be downrated because they're realizing that some of them may not be making on campus so all this Hope Springs eternal garbage I keep seeing from you guys is ridiculous. I sat and watched the UK game yesterday with some UK fans, and they were realistic. Hey, we're not that much better than UT Martin, so you need to stop taking your drugs, brother. 52 to nothing. Jeff, thank you very much for the call. We appreciate the wow. participation in the show. Have a great rest of your weekend. Wow. That, that, he's not watching the same game. He didn't think Kentucky was that much better than Tennessee Martin. So... I mean, Louisville, and, and you're right, there is an element of me being a Louisville fan that goes into this, but Louisville has Dominique Brown, Michael Dyer, Corvin Lamb, Brandon Radcliffe, and the freshman L.J. Scott, who's a big physical guy and I could see thriving as possibly right. the number two option tomorrow. L.J. Scott yes. was not as good as a recruit as Stanley Boone Williams, who's Kentucky's fifth option at running back. Not rated as high. Okay, that's fair. I don't know as much about it. So, I mean, this is Jeff called. Uh, was that was, was that his name, Jeff? I have no idea. He kept on breaking up. I think he Frank. was so delusional. Frank, I'm Frank. sorry, Frank. Frank, yeah. Frank suggested that you were on drugs for saying that, that Kentucky. Mike Gandolfo making the statement, and I'm not really. I am much more familiar with the Louisville running backs. I, I've liked over time Dominique Brown. I like Michael Dyer. I like. Radcliffe and Lamb, and then this L.J. Scott guy seems like he's a great fit for the Michael Bush, Lionel Gates mold of Bobby Petrino brand of football. And I don't know what top recruits he thinks that Kentucky's losing because last I checked, they had three of their best recruiting classes of all time coming in, and most of those guys did show up on campus. Every coach in America over-recruits their class knowing that some guys are not going to show up on campus. And uh, I don't see anybody getting downgraded uh, so far. So, I mean, there was a lot of freshmen and sophomores yesterday making some very big plays, and especially the junior college guys. I mean, the junior college guys for Kentucky were huge. So, I don't know. You know, I, I, Louisville, to me, still has a lot to do to prove. For I mean, they have they had the win over Florida in the Sugar Bowl, which was an unbelievable win. But let's face it, the other, the win over Wake Forest in an Orange Bowl, that's not like uh, anything that I would really write home about. The ACC was awful that year. And they really are lacking those signature, signature, signature type wins, not a win over a major program that was on a downward spiral at the time. Florida was? They're the number three rated team headed into the Sugar Bowl. I just said, but with the exception of the Florida Okay, with the exception of the Florida game. Okay, I was at that game. That was an amazing atmosphere. Um, I I won't disagree with you there. You got to try to be 
take a step back and be somewhat unbiased. Louisville still has what's the, what's plenty the way, of room then? to grow as both the fan base and consistency of the quality of their program. Do I think they're headed in that direction? I really do. And I said that too. I mean, let's let's face it. I said that last said that they're on that cl- they took that step and they're on that path to that I think they can achieve that collision to a national championship game. So we're uh, you know, going in some good discussion. Yeah. Ashley. I I I appreciate the diversity. <laughs> it makes for good radio, right? In the conversation, sure, because of course, um, not all the time, but a pretty nice amount of the time, Kelly and I agree. Sometimes, I don't know if you've um, ever heard me reference Kelly as um, <clears throat> our uh, resident thug. but Resident um, thug. Resident thug, yes. <laughs> um, because <clears throat> at, for a while, I mean, I guess it's still probably the same. Kelly had more of a... Um, Background. Record. Yeah, I do. <laughs> than anyone else uh, at the weekend sports bus. So. I mean, you know... It, you know Brandon J. Lawrence personally? Is that what you were uh, no. talking about? I honestly think that's probably how we got that connection in the first place. We are now going to head to the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln oh, bus line. Oh, nice subject change. Where we got our man Jeff Greer, the beat Jeff. writer for Courier Journal, the Louisville Cardinals. How you doing this morning, Jeff? I am doing just fine. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing great, man. Great Thanks for joining morning. us. So, Jeff, I want to start off because, uh, you know, we saw a lot of 3-4 defenses not perform very well in college football. And is there a concern with Louisville making that change to a 3-4, especially with nobody really experienced at that nose guard, nose tackle position? Um, I mean, I would think that, you know, first of all, anytime you do change your entire defensive scheme, um, you know, you're going to have questions or, or, you know, situations where, you know, there may not be quite up to um, it's, a, it's a long process, um, but uh, you know, I, I think their biggest challenge is their front three um, is pretty inexperienced, and I think that you know that they are going to have their struggles against a really good running uh, running team in Miami in the first. But they should settle down after that. And then, of course, we also have uh, no Devonte Parker, probably no Michael Dyer. Who, who for Louisville is going to take the majority of the catches that Devontae Parker would have had? See, you know, they they say, you know, it's kind of like a, it takes a village, you know, that, that kind of response um, whenever we ask about that. I honestly think it'll be Gerald Christian and James Quick who are going to be their, their key guys. But those guys are the ones who have to be game breakers for them. James Quick has the, the deep deep threat speed, and uh, Gerald Christian is just a monster down the team. So those two guys really have to step in for him. Jeff, last year James Quick had a, what? Can, how can I describe it, a bad case of the, the dropsies? Is the word yeah. around the Louisville camp that he is, he is past that? And, and if so, how are we supposed to head into tomorrow's inaugural game in the ACC and feel confident that all of a sudden he's going to be able to catch, catch everything thrown at him when, when he has to. This has to be a downgrade from Teddy Bridgewater to Will Gardner. Uh, how can we expect James Quick to be that number one option? Well, I, I think, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that he dealt with, you know, first of all, it's, it's a maturity thing. You know, it takes, and you guys know, it takes a little while for, for kids to get comfortable in programs. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. We, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to James this year, so I, I haven't had a chance to really ask him about all that stuff. But I know that was an issue last year. 
Um, but you know, I, I think it, it's just a, it's a maturity thing, like you said. And, and uh, you know, in his, his camp, he was very impressive. He did not, uh, you know, from what I saw in open practices and scrimmages, he didn't really have any problems dropping dropping balls. It seemed like whatever the the issue was seemed to be fixed. And um, you know, when he's got the speed that he has, he's the fourth fastest player on the team. Um, and he's a pretty shifty kid, too, and he runs good routes. I mean, I think that kind of gives him the potential to be that breakout guy. But, you know, obviously we still have to wait and see if that stuff translates over to actual on-field production. Jeff, during Petrino's last run here at Louisville, I remember a offensive system that utilized many different running backs. You would have Michael Bush, Lionel Gates, Colby Smith, Eric Shelton. They They would be... Seemingly on almost every play, running in a new running back, a new maybe a, 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 a blocking fullback to implement whatever strategy they were trying to do on that play. How many running backs do you see getting carries tomorrow, and who who are those running backs? Is it L.J. Scott, Dominique Brown? Do you see both Radcliffe and Lamb playing a role in tomorrow's game? Um, I would say, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Michael Dyer does play. Um, you know, I, you never know if a coach is kind of throwing smoke uh, by saying, you know, he's looking more and more doubtful, and then, you know, he shows up on Monday night and he, <laughs> he plays like, you know, regular uh, regular reps. But um, if if everybody's healthy, it'll be it, it would be Dominique Brown, Michael Dyer, and L.J. Scott. Um, but if Dyer is healthy and doesn't play, I would think Brandon Radcliffe would kind of move into that role of being a change-up guy off the bench who's got a, a lot of speed and a lot of elusive uh, a lot of elusive to his running game. Who's the one guy that Loyal fans don't really know about that they're going to learn about this year, that they're going to know his name by the end of the season? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, maybe, uh, wow, that is actually a really good question. I hadn't thought of that one. Um, I would say on, on offense, let's do this. We'll do offense and defense. Um, I, I don't know how familiar people are with L.J. Scott just yet. I know he's the, I know he's a, kind of a, a well-known signee for them among the diehards, but he's a, he's a really powerful kid for, you know, being a freshman. He's like 5'11", 230. Um, they line him up everywhere from, from running back his natural position, a fullback, tight end. They'll split him out. Um, I think they're going to try to use him a lot because you know he's mature. He can handle that kind of that kind of responsibility, and he, he's a he's the future running back for the team. Uh, and then on defense, I would say probably James Burgess. Um, I know he started last year, and, and so people should at least recognize the name. But he's kind of taken over the heart of the defense from Preston Brown, and uh, they really trust him to, to kind of be the guy in the middle of the defense, that middle linebacker to, to to kind of run things. So. I think that I think James is really in for for a solid year. What would you say um, is the single? At what point after the game tomorrow night? Um, what do you think has to happen for Louisville fans, skeptics alike, to say the Cardinals are in a good space to make a nice run in the ACC? Is there anything that you feel like that could happen tomorrow that would kind of put everyone at ease and say, you know what, I think Bobby has the team in a good position? Um, to start the season, we're in good shape. Uh, I mean, if if Devontae Parker, you know, flies into the stadium and lands on the field at the fifty yard line and is 
100% healthy, I think that would probably start. But, no, I, I mean, I think if they beat Miami, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be convincing, really. I, I think for fans here and, and for the program, I think as long as they get that first win under their belt um, and it doesn't, you know, it's not like six to three or something like that, I think, uh, you know, I think people will feel pretty good about where they stand because Miami is, Miami is coming in here, I think, a lot better than they were last year at the, in that bowl game. They obviously, have their running back, uh, Duke Johnson, will be healthy. He is a difference maker. Uh, he might be the best player combined, on, on both teams combined. Um, so having him back is huge. And, uh, you know, Miami is a very talented roster. They, you know, I used to work in South Florida, and I know how talented kids they recruit you know, were in high school and what they can be at the college level. So a, a win there, I think, really kind of sets them up for people to get, you know, kind of, okay, here we are, we're, we're, we're in, we, we beat one of the, the Blue Bloods in this conference, and I think that'll, that'll really help people if they get that win on uh, Monday night. How much pressure is on Brad Kaya, the true freshman starting quarterback, headed into his first action? He turns 18 in a few days. Um, and he he's thrown right into the big stage. How much pressure is on this young kid? I uh, well, I think it's a fair amount of pressure. I mean, your 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 college debut is going to be in an environment. Um, I was at the Pitt Florida State uh, Labor Day game last year when Pitt was welcome to the ACC, and you know just just being there for the pregame festivities and the the fireworks that they run out all the ACC flags and the mascots and they do all these presentations and the place the place last year was going nuts um, and I would expect it to be very similar this year so it's going to be intimidating um, and and for a freshman to be standing in on the road and making his college debut I think is going to be a, a really really intriguing thing to watch um, but I think they'll try to take that pressure off him by giving him you know, kind of simple, simplify everything and, and just make it a little bit easier for him to operate and then let Duke Johnson kind of be the, the focal point of their offense. I, I think, uh, how big is this game to Louisville fans? I mean, can you kind of sum it up how big, just from the uh, playing Miami, inaugural ACC game, how big is this for Louisville? Uh, I mean, like I said, it's, it's uh, you know, your first game in the, in a power conference, uh, and the, this, I wrote it in my story preview, and tomorrow, it, you know, it, it feels like they finally made it for, for the people in that community and, and uh, for the people who are, are U of L fans and in their alumni base and their boosters and all that. I mean, this is, this is their sign that they made it. And, um, you know, they, they, I know they had the party in July, and everybody's been talking about the ACC for the last two years, but this is really their first national kind of recognition of, of tangible evidence that they are physically playing in one of the power conferences in college sports. So I think it's just, you, you can't measure that, um, you know, in terms of importance and what that means for the university. I think there are, I think everybody over there is, is pretty excited about uh, everything that they're walking into tomorrow night. Once again, we have Jeff Greer, the beat writer for the Louisville Cardinals of the Courier-Journal. On the line with us, Jeff. Before we let you go, I'll let you get your prediction in for tomorrow's game. <laughs> okay, I, I, I've been thinking about it because uh, I know you know I've been asked that a lot. Um, 
I, I before Devontae Parker got hurt, I thought uh, Louisville would win by two touchdowns, and I thought it'd be like a 38-24 type game. Um, without Devontae Parker, I'm somewhere, but I still think Louisville wins, but I'm somewhere closer to maybe like 27-24 or 31-24, something like that. So a close game right from the, the, the mouth of the Louisville beat rider. So we are in for an 8 o'clock. It's, it's just really all the... The stars aligning perfectly. This is Louisville's model. It's a weeknight game, 8 o'clock. It's got to be a, a crazy atmosphere tomorrow night. The first game in the ACC. Blackout. Blackout. Drunk people everywhere. Drunk people everywhere. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for Jeff. I just thought about that. There's probably going to be a lot of hungover people on Tuesday morning. Ever. No, this is this is going to be one electric atmosphere if I've ever seen one. Miami come into town in itself is a big story. A rematch of the Russell Athletic Bowl makes it bigger. First game ever in the ACC. Opening game. Labor Day. Labor Day. Howard Schnellenberger. Uh, 30 players from the South Florida area on the... Howard Schnellenberger going to be there, by the way. I mean, I'm sure he is, right? They're going to have Howard Schnellenberger there. Are they going to do something with him before the game? I would assume he will. That's a great question. We'll see. At least in spirit, the, the old pipe-smoking architect of both programs will be there. We're going to head to a break. We will be back with more of the Weekend Sports Buzz. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. I am Kelly Patrick, alongside Ashley Miller. Mike Gandolfo coming at you as we do every Sunday from 10 till noon. Previewing tomorrow's game between the Miami Hurricanes and the Louisville Cardinals in the Cards' first game in the ACC. All right, so I want to go back to this running back thing. All right, just real quick. We got L.J. Scott. Uh-oh. We got we, <laughs> Jeff Greer just said the three UVL running backs, L.J. Scott, Michael Dyer, Dominic Brown are the three main running backs for Louisville. Dominic Brown has only got two 100-yard rushing games in his career. He's had flashes a couple years ago against Kentucky and really has just not been... I mean, I think he's been kind of under-impressed the last couple of years, and UofL has kind of hoped that he's always going to kind of break out. Mm-hmm. Michael Dyer, since he's been to, to, at Louisville... Hasn't done a bunch. No. Yeah, he, didn't, he, also, he didn't play very much last year, as much as I thought he would. Yeah, yeah, there's a reason for that, right? I remember having conversations headed into last year where people were saying, oh, this guy's a for sure first-round draft pick. And then you have to at least, uh, let's, let's at least say that L.J. Scott and Stanley Boone-Williams are in the same That's discussion fair. as freshman running backs. Okay, and, but I, I do think you're greatly discounting Dominic Brown. All right, then, I mean, he's going to have to show it. Yes. I mean, he's going to have to show it. Now, I'll bring up the stats, but it was a few years ago that all the only offense Louisville had really against Kentucky was, I think, 90-plus yards and two touchdowns Domin- that out of Dominique Brown. They won a rivalry game. So that's this is not the same Kentucky team as a couple years ago either. No, you it's know? not. Ox- I, go sorry, ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Oxmoor Ford Lincoln buzz line, 502-384-1450. We're going to head to the buzz line now. Where we have our man Carolina Steve on the line. How are you doing this morning, Carolina? It's fine. How you doing? We're we're doing good. East Carolina plays today. Is that correct? Or they play they play today, don't they? Yeah. Well, last night I was at uh, Greenville watching my Pirates play, and uh, y'all talk about Devontae Parker. I saw a wide receiver that I think's better than him. 
he's he's up there for sure. Your your boy at East Carolina is definitely up there. He's a he's a really good receiver. Yeah, uh, Hardy. I think he caught eight passes, two for touchdowns, and threw a touchdown pass last night. He hit a guy that was wide open. And let me tell you something. I saw one of the best entrances I've ever seen by a college football team. It, it ranks in the top ten in the nation, according to uh, the list. Uh, first of all, the band circles the field, and the mascot comes out, and George Thurgood and the Delaware Destroyers play, they play dead to the bone, and everybody's standing up clapping, going wild. Then they uh, get through with that. They have the national anthem. They line up, uh, and they come out of a skull. That's pretty awesome. The tunnel with the skull from the thing, and there's purple smoke coming out from that. Let me ask you real quick, Carolina. I mean, it was a really impressive win over Freeze Carolina yesterday, but they got a big matchup next week. What's uh, what's your prediction? Yeah, what I really South think Carolina? they can win the ball game. I think they can win the ball game. Uh, Shane Carlin, the uh, quarterback, looked good. He's been for four touchdown passes and uh, uh, and over three hundred yards. Uh, defense. I know we're going to be playing a much better team than what we played. But the defense did not give up a touchdown. The only touchdown they scored was on a fumble recovery, and the guy ran it in for a touchdown. So it's going to be interesting. We got we got some tough games coming up. We got the two Carolinas in our next uh, three games. We got South Carolina at Wallace Bryce Stadium, and then the Tar Heels coming. We're going to get rowdy at Dowdy with them. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's probably their best chance for like a signature win this year because um, you know a lot of people. Are predicting that North Carolina could be making a step up, but and there's a lot of people who think that they might be a little overhyped. So I don't know enough to make a judgment, but that seems to be a, a chance for them to get one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to those games, and I'll be able to watch next week on the SEC Network. I know I'll be able to see them play uh, South Carolina on that one, but uh, I'm looking forward to watching a little football Monday night with. Uh, the boys from up there in Louisville playing Miami. What's your, what's your prediction for that? Game. What do you think is going to happen? I think Miami's going to pull the upset. There it is. All right. Uh-oh. Carolina, Steve, pick in Miami, put it on the board. Carolina, thanks for calling. We'll talk to you soon. Y'all have a good one. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Faithful listener, Carolina Steve. Sounded a little tired. I think he uh, might have had a little bit of a long drive home after the East Carolina Pirates win against North Carolina A&T? No question mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, he didn't seem to be like his, his normal self. <laughs> no, but he still calls in. That's what we like about Carolina. Loyalty, yes. Loyalty. The number one segment in the local radio industry. At 11 o'clock every Sunday, we have Ashley Miller's list of the five craziest stories in the world of sports. Goes by a couple different names. Ashley's Loco Cinco is one. Mike, you're familiar with I'm familiar with Ashley's Loco Cinco. Also, something the kids are saying these days is they call it Ashley's Crazy. (laughs) So, with no further ado, Ashley's Crazy. Here we go. Well... 
So I do have five stories for you today. The first one is kind of a follow-up um, to a conversation we've had maybe, I don't know, maybe it's been a month or more ago, um, but officially, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union tied the knot yesterday, and you remember we um, had a conversation about the craziness um, in terms of the secrecy of this event and how exclusive it was going to be, um, but apparently they released, the only part that was released, was that they did get married in a famous moated castle hidden away in Miami. Um, a place called Chateau Artesian, um, which is considered one of the coolest pieces of property in the country. Apparently, there was also a rap video shot there in 2010, which we don't care about. But um, it's a moated, there's a moat, which means there's only one way in and one way out. A literal moat was Literally. holding off the general public. There Literally. you go. So, <laughs> Drawbridge, little troll garden yeah, and everything. all okay. of that, all of that. So... Um, apparently, you know, they went to extreme lengths to make sure the wedding was so private. Um, so, which is, you know, why they actually chose this castle in the first place, because it was protected by this moat. Um, they actually had their, their guests sign a confidentiality agreement and banned all social media from the event. Um, and... So basically all that we've seen um, online is people, there's one picture of the couple after the wedding, um, a picture of the castle. There are pictures of like Chris Bosh, uh, Ludacris. They asked the men to come in black tie. So was, was LeBron there? I didn't see any pictures of That's him. That's my question. Yeah, that was the question I wanted to know. I actually looked at Sorry. his Instagram last night to see if he posted anything, but he had not. Um, but they had pictures. Um, the guys were asked to wear all black in the... Ladies were asked to wear all white. So that was very nice. So I'm interested to see um, what they're going to... Are they really just not going to show any pictures at all from their wedding? And um, I saw a sketch of Gabrielle Union's dress, but no pictures of her in the dress. So um, I think it's kind of crazy that they're being so creepy. Yeah, that is a little creepy. And the other part that's creepy is that all of the people that went to the wedding followed the rules (laughs) because... You know, there's always at least one person that breaks the rules and tweets something or posts something on Instagram. Has a little too much to drink. Yeah, nothing of the sort. The Kelly Patrick of the party. The Kelly Patrick <laughs> of the party. Yeah, there's always one. Okay, well, so the, the very exclusive setting for the Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade marriage with the drawbridge and the moat. I guess mm-hmm. if you have a sloppy divorce, your next wedding and marriage, you take a different approach to That makes sense. I mean, it sounds like they went to extremes. I wonder if Pat Riley was there. I mean, seriously, was Barack Obama coming? Like, why? Maybe, maybe he was. Because they Chicago had ties? they had them um, also go through security. Not only so they had to. I don't. I don't know if you heard that segment or not. Um, but they had to. No one got the exact address of where they were getting married. Yeah, they that's were, right. They were told to meet at this specific hotel, and they all were put on Bust a bus in. and shuttled. To this place. So then once they got to the place, they had to go through security. Do they have like black bags over them <laughs> and all that kind of they stuff? They had six I different decoy tackled. Yeah. That was my theory is they need to have six different decoy cars. And then Driving in a some of those go direction. to different parts of the country. Yeah. So if you happen to follow the wrong one, you're yeah. just you're paparazzi. Screwed. You just happen to end up in like Vegas or something. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that's kind of crazy. Um, story number two. So I think we actually haven't touched on this at all, but we know the 49ers are going to be without superstar linebacker Alden Smith for the first nine games of the season um, because 
he wants to continue raising hell off the field. Um, the NFL announced this pe- penalty um, a couple days ago, saying that Smith violated the league's substance abuse policy and personal conduct policy, which I don't think I realized the personal conduct part existed. Anyhow, um, the league was not specific about which incident Smith is being punished for because um, he's clearly been in a lot of trouble lately, but um, it's likely that the move is tied to Smith's recent plea deal in Santa Clara. Um, you know, he was sentenced to 12 days in jail in a case involving a DUI from 2013 and a weapons charge in 2012. Um, and then we also, he also made my top five a few months ago for yelling bomb in the airport. In the <laughs> That's <LAX>. right. <laughs> I forgot forgot about that. That was I remember that he had a lot of substance abuse problems, and then you can tack on. Oh yeah, and he yeah he he yelled bomb in an airport. airport. Yeah, that's a that's a really smart guy. Pretty pretty solid partier type guy. Yeah, really really smart. Forty Nineers fan myself, you know, but look, I think the NFL. Uh, Players Association kind of negotiated that down to nine games. I think that it could have been more. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he is going to be able to practice and be at the facility during those nine games. He's not like a completely cut off. So is he just not getting paid? Yeah, he's not getting paid and can't play. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can't play mm-hmm. on Sundays. Sure, sure. Well, you know what also is interesting is Ray Rice is only suspended for like two games. Yeah. Yeah, this is – I mean, that's a whole different – A whole different ball. ball yeah, I just <laughs> uh, – and, and they kind of admitted that they screwed up there. You know, I just uh, – and Alden Smith isn't admitting that yelling a bomb in an airport was screwing up? No, 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 no. I, I, I mean, I think that Alden Smith is getting his just punishment, you know, even as a 49ers fan. I'm just saying I think Dyer sh- or, uh, Ray Rice should have gotten more. Oh, that's that would have been my point, I would yeah. assume. Agreed. So, all right, story number story three. Story number three. So, you guys are probably familiar with Josh Shaw. You guys have, yeah. you know, the guy he supposedly hurt his ankles while saving his seven-year-old nephew from drowning, which was not true. Why make up such an extravagant <laughs> thing know. that's going to make the parents of that nephew? some dude's wife. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> but still, why, why, you're dragging your uncle and aunt into the story when you say they're irresponsible parents, they left their kid by the pool, and then so I, I had to, to jump him. off a balcony to save him. Why throw your aunt and uncle under the bus? Is well, now there's another part of the story that people aren't sure, like, what exactly. Nobody knows what he did. He's just crazy. Um, but apparently the LAPD is investigating a possible domestic dispute between Josh Shaw and his girlfriend, which now they're believing may have happened on the night that he injured his ankles. So. And they have been married? I don't know. I don't know. But apparently a witness called cops um, last Saturday night after they saw a person in quotes shimmying down the side of an apartment building um, in downtown L.A. around 1040 p.m. So now cops are saying that the witness also reported hearing a woman screaming in the moments before the man scaled down the building. Um, and when cops arrived to the apartment, no one answered the door, so they broke it down, find a window that had been pried open. Um, the woman who lived in the unit eventually came back and told the cops that the description of the man seen jumping out of her window sounded a lot like her boyfriend, Josh Shaw. So now the cops say that um, she did not indicate that she was the victim of any type of domestic violence. Um, and the football player himself is adamant that there was no domestic violence. However, I don't think we can take his word on anything this has got <laughs> this has got motorcycle accident in arkansas written all over it oh, <laughs> oh shots fired all right let's just i mean seriously this is i mean there's, there's no the train reason. wreck what's the reason for him to go out the window unless some other dude is there 
and there's some going to be some sort of confrontation. He's just got to get out of there. And he's a, an, a college athlete, right? He's he going to would... get around some woman and get out the front door if he needs to. The cops weren't there yet, so yeah, he could have. And you would think if he was being door. physically threatened, he would have been able to hold his own, unless he he just it, didn't want to happen. Unless it happened to be one of his teammates' wives. Ooh, mm. <laughs> scandal! All sorts of twists. Yes. All Where's right. Olivia Pope when you need her? Uh, story number story four. Number four. David Beckham. Um, Laid down his motorcycle in the middle of Sunset Boulevard wow. um, last this past week, actually, Thursday. Um, apparently was leaving this famous shamrock tattoo place in West Hollywood on Thursday. We lost control of his motorcycle. It was a custom, super vintage motorcycle. Um, he just fell off in the middle of the street. So I'm thinking, what the heck is he doing? Like... Trying to swerve around the middle of the street, but he what's was, he doing on a motorcycle? Well, that true. That's well, question I mean, number one, probably. Um, but he apparently was being chased around by paparazzi, so he damn. swerved to try to avoid the photographers and ended up falling off the bike. Well, so he couldn't even actually pick the bike up, and they we saw him later um, in a video with the big cast on his hand. So maybe he actually broke his wrist or something like that. But um, I feel like that's a place when we talk about. The media has like gone too far when someone can't go get a tattoo in peace and get on sure. a motorcycle right away. So, um, i.e., Princess Diana and stuff like that. Like, when do they stop? But at the same time, I mean, most athletes have that provision in their contract that they can't get on a motorcycle. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's he should never be on a motorcycle. Jason Williams. Yeah. Jason Williams. Um, Was Bobby Hurley in a motorcycle accident? I think he may have. That's a good question. Both Dukies. I, I think that would be too coincidental. Well, it was. It may have been. It maybe it was a car accident. It might have been a car accident. I'll look that up. Um, someone else, though, Kellen Winslow Jr. I think had a, a motorcycle accident. Um, obviously, you mentioned. If you're a Bobby pro Petrino. athlete, don't ride, don't get on a motorcycle, and don't play for Team USA. So there you go. Oh, true. Those are definitely liabilities right now. All right. Well, Last story. Story number five. I'll have to say is my favorite story. Just as a preface, um, but I know that you've heard about this beef between 50 Cent and Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> so apparently Floyd Mayweather Sr. is sick and tired of 50 Cent cracking jokes at his son's expense, talking about the fact that he's illiterate and this, and that, and the other. Floyd Mayweather Sr. is frustrated. He's very pissed off. Oh, I would like um, to hear some footage of him talking yeah, about Yeah, well, that. there's a video of him. I'll show it to you later. Oh, um, but he says that the real laughs, would come if the two ever actually fought each other because he thinks that Floyd would kick 50 Cent's butt. Absolutely, he would. Um, so you would think so. I mean, 50 Cent's pretty big. He's though. a big guy. If it was a street he's fight. Not, this, yeah, this is a trained fighter, though. Trained fighter. I know. Fighter. I'm just saying, if it was a street fight, if they say they got into an MMA cage, yeah, that I don't would know. 50 that could Cent be have a chance then. I'm a big know. dude. Floyd Mayweather would just destroy me. So, just because I mean, of his punching power. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, probably right. I mean, that's but, not... But 50 Cent also boxed, and he appears to be on quite a bit of Have you steroids. not seen Rocky Four? Steroids. Huh. Yeah, so 50 Cent, um, apparently, um, his... Okay, so Floyd Singer thinks that 50 Cent's just pissed off that Floyd left him. I'm not even sure that I knew that they were something, an item. Um, they, no, they, they, were, they, they were. They were like business partners. <laughs> they were. Yeah, that was a joke. Was they, were, they were a romance at one point. A bromance. Uh-huh, a bromance. So um, he says he's acting like a kid. He says that um, if they ever got into the ring, that Mayweather at 147 pounds would punish him. Um, they, I think they said 50 Cent was like 230, 240, something like that. 
Um, he said he weighs over 100 pounds more than Floyd. Let him go against Floyd and put that on video, and no more needs to be said. Uh, there were rumors, apparently, that Floyd recently challenged 50 to a 12-round fight, but that later turned out to be a hoax. However, I think it would be really great to watch. I saw my man Radio Raheem got to ask 50 Cent if he would fight him. And um, 50 Cent kind of deflected the question, but, you know. I don't think Mayweather needs to worry about this at all. I mean, really, who is 50 Cent anymore? Isn't he kind of, like, done? No. He makes oh. tons of movies. Yeah, he's he actually, I mean, I'm not saying they're the greatest movies ever, but he is actually still significant. He has he's a, a boxing promoter. He has a pretty big TV show. It's called Does he? Uh, Power. I think it's on HBO. I might have made that up. It's on one. Some Somehow station. he's still relevant is my answer, Mike. You think yeah. he's still relevant? I do. Somehow. Um, I just think, it, first of all, it's stupid. But I think this is um, the evidence of social media going way too far. The fact that they can actually post videos of themselves like calling each other out on stupid stuff. Like, oh, I have more money than you. Oh, but you can't read. Can you read Cat in the Hat? <laughs> like, so he started off telling him to read Harry Potter, and he told him that he couldn't enunciate the words, so then he could read Cat in the Hat instead. I mean, it was funny, but it was way too much. It is interesting. Favorite story, Kelly? My favorite story, let's see. You've got 50 you, you, Cent and Floyd Mayweather. You've got the Josh Shaw. You've the got Josh, Josh Shaw thing takes the... I think that's my, yeah, I mean, that's the most bizarre. It, it involves yeah. infidelity, jumping out of a, a, of windows a, a of window. Apartment buildings it in involves LA. Uh, making up a story about your, your nephew drowning. You it's got so many, ad- and then he was shimmying. Is shimmying that right? down the Shimmying along the a uh, hotel or uh, an apartment building. Bil- yeah. That's pretty good, right? Over. It's um, tough to match that. Yeah, David's, David Beckham, Alden Smith, and those top secret ones. Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going. Yeah, I gotta go with with, uh, with Shaw. Okay. All right then. All right. Most embarrassing story, or Ashley's loco cinco, or just plain old crazy. For <laughs> just Shaw. August thirty first, twenty fourteen, the eve of the Louisville versus Miami first game in the ACC. So we got uh, a great second hour lined up. We're going to have our man, Alex Dono, radio host in Miami, joining us at 1130 to preview the Canes perspective. I'll use his line. We're going behind enemy lines. And we are going to hear about his freshman, the freshman quarterback starting for the Canes. You hear about what they're hoping is to be a improved defensive unit for the Miami Hurricanes. And regardless of what year it is, you can always bank on it. The, the Hurricanes team will always have a lot of f- future NFL players on it, even if they're down or what it is. So there's a, a lot to look forward to with the game tomorrow. Be sure to stay tuned. We'll be back with more weekend sports buzz. Do y'all really know who y'all fucking with? Yeah, I mean, you can't blame me for wondering. Doesn't matter, could be winter or the summer on the road. I do one direction numbers, I don't fucking miss. Yeah, Stunner and Magno. When Wayne was gone for eight months, we put this thing up on our back and I was snapping off on every single track, though. Collect car from the boss, like where we at? He left Rikers in the Phantom, that's my nigga. And I be rocking with the Tina Carter 9 and we YMCMB waiting on somebody to try, nigga. Yeah, I'm the only one to get the job done. I don't know a no one that could cover for me. Yeah, got some game from my day. So she might say she love me, she don't love me like she said she love me, but. 
Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. During the break, we were talking about the relevant sports stories opening weekend of college football. Obviously, we got to see, you know, there's a funny gif out there of, of Steve Spurrier flipping out as South Carolina. I'm sure he did. Beat handily. Got their ass kicked. I mean, a lot of people thought South Carolina had a, had a, had a decent shot at getting to the 14 playoff and winning the SEC this year. And... It's out the window now. No, I mean, I wouldn't say it's completely out the window, but they'd have to run the table and win the SEC championship game. And A&M, I mean, the, the job, I'll tell you who, watching that game was probably just as upset as Steve Spurrier, was Charlie Strong. Because Charlie Strong's now got to go up and recruit against that. I mean, when you think of, like, Kevin Sumlin and him going after the same recruits, and if in, in the fun style that Texas A&M has and how they get after and get over, and just the overall personality differences of the two. I mean, Charlie's got to start out recruiting Baylor and Texas A&M to have any kind of long long success at Texas. And that's going to be tough. Certainly. There's a lot to be said in my eyes for a team like Miami or Louisville or Texas A&M and South Carolina to have a game opening weekend be such a tough challenge. Right? Sure. I mean, especially even with the 14 playoff, if you lose week one, the rest of the season is a complete uphill battle. Absolutely. Very true. Absolutely, yeah. I just, uh, I, I think that's, it. and part of that, though, is the fact that we have these strength of schedule things will now matter. If you're a 10 and, or 11 and 1 team and you have to go against other 11 and 1 teams or even maybe a 10 and 2 team that played a really tough schedule for that fourth spot in the playoff. SEC kicking off their network. This was putting everything into that basket. That place was electric. That place was as good as an atmosphere as you're going to find. And maybe a little overhyped. And I don't know if that's a concern for Louisville tomorrow. I mean, is the... Is the and I don't think it will be, because I don't think Petrino will let it get that way with his guys. I think the fans will definitely be that way, where it's a little bit... Will, will there be a little overhyped for the event? But I don't. I think Petrino will be able to keep his guys in check. But then again, you got the... Uh, the idea where you know Miami's probably going to be coming off the bowl game last year, feeling kind of disrespected, and they even came out and said so. They said so yeah. in the Miami um, Sentinel. Yeah, mm-hmm. where there was an article a few days ago, and I don't know if you remember, very uncharacteristic of Teddy Bridgewater during the Russell Athletic Athletic Bowl in Orlando last at the end of last year. Teddy Bridgewater made a throat slashing gesture. Ooh. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. That's not like him toward his pretty much the people he grew up with. Mm-hmm. Nicest guy ever. I don't. I mean, I'm sure he didn't mean anything bad by it. I'm sure he wasn't threatening anyone. But that really riled up. And supposedly there was other players on this uh, Louisville team that were really talking trash and were getting everyone very riled up on the Miami team. So a few of these well, Miami about- Hurricanes are very eager to to get revenge on this team. I'm sure they are, but also think back to prior to the bowl game and how um, disrespected. Card the Louisville Cardinals were um, when they stomped on the bird. No, well, not even that. But before the game even started, um, basically, majority of football nation um, sports reporters and everybody were like were counting Louisville out of the game and basically saying Miami wins. Louisville has no history. Blah 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 blah. They're really probably not that good. Um, and that's the same thing that they went through the year before. So um, I think that probably goes both ways. I'm pretty confident that um, the football, Louisville football team felt like they had something to prove um, last year at the bowl game and 
I'm going to say they went into that game with a big chip on their shoulder. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, but I think there's also the importance of Bobby Trino having a second chance. And I think usually people who get a second chance are pretty dangerous also. Oh, sure. And I just think uh, – Because he has something to prove. But there's no doubt that this Louisville – that the Texas A&M-South Carolina matchup and the Louisville-Miami matchup are the two biggest conference matchups we have week one, mm-hmm. where, you know, mm-hmm. where you have a conference game that really matters and what's going to be great atmospheres. Sure. Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line is 502-384-1450. If you want to get in on any of the preview of the Miami Hurricanes versus Louisville Cardinals primetime game tomorrow night, 8 o'clock on ESPN here in Louisville. We're going to head to the Buzz Line now where we have Alex Dono, the host on 560 WQAM in Miami. How are you doing this morning, Alex? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm just excited. Enjoying my weekend already. Got a big fantasy draft today, and then it's game time tomorrow. Now, Alex, I know you are a lifelong Hurricanes fan, based on my understanding, and that not only do you are you fortunate enough to be able to cover the Hurricanes, but you've been a fan of this program for a long time. Yeah, I. Um, it's funny. I recently was uh, hanging out with my parents, and they showed me this picture of when I was literally two years old holding up my first orange and green Miami Hurricanes football. So it started for me from there. I ended up going to school there. I'm an alumnus from 2007, and I've been in it my whole life. So the fact that I have the honor of actually working on the broadcast is a huge thrill for me. Alex, there are plenty of storylines headed into the game tomorrow, whether it be the revenge factor, whether it be... Uh, the, the the local kids Louisville has from the Miami area on our roster, or the Howard Schnellenberger connection. But my first question to you is, what is your impression of the University of Louisville? We're headed to the ACC. Obviously, we're a basketball power. Um, overall, what do you think of the election to put Louisville in the ACC? I think it's a huge addition based largely on, on just the foundation that Charlie Strong left there. I mean, you know, we consider down here South Florida to be one of the best recruiting bases for college football in the entire country, and the fact that Strong was able to tap into that recruiting base and, you know, bring in all those great players there. I know Teddy Bridgewater is gone, but, you know, the foundation that they laid, I, I would consider Louisville to be kind of knocking on the door to being a powerhouse in college football. So, uh, geographically, it makes perfect sense to have them in the ACC. I know that historically it's a basketball school, but this football team has been formidable for a while, and I'm sure that Bobby Petrino being back is going to keep carrying that forward. Well, th- th- now let's talk about you know how much the bad blood. I mean, there's got to be some bad blood with a lot of these guys knowing each other, and then the way that last season ended has Miami just been focusing on that bowl game last year and then circling this one on the calendar, getting ready for this. I mean, are they are they just super motivated? Yeah, the interesting thing is uh, I know that Miami head coach Al Golden wants guys to kind of keep it cool and not look back at last year's game too much. Now, no matter what Coach Golden says about it, like he says, hey, you know, there's nothing we can take from that game, X and O's wise. We're not studying it too much. We don't want guys to think it too much. Uh, the comments that we've had from the players over the last couple of weeks largely say otherwise. I know that they are looking back at that game, and for you know most of the players on this roster, they were in that game, they were on that Kane team last year. And they are thinking about the defense facts a little bit. Something that they always go back to, uh, and again, take Bridgewater no longer on that roster, but you know, after putting uh, a touchdown, Bridgewater did the U sign and then a throat slash, and a lot of players found that to be disrespectful. So, you know, they're sort of carrying that into this game on Monday, uh, whether Al Golden likes it or not. 
What is the general vibe in uh, Miami in terms of the outcome of this game? Are people expecting Miami to win? Are they expecting it to be really close? Are they expecting um, Louisville to win? What are you? What, are you, what is the vibe you're getting? Well, some of that Canes fans, they're always expecting to win. Uh, the expectations are sky high each and every year. And, you know, the real source of excitement here this year is kind of an unknown, and that's, you know, a true freshman starting quarterback, Brad Kaya. Sure. He straight up won the starting job in fall camp. I mean, he played really, really well in the fall camp. Uh, the competition was limited, of course, because Miami's expected starter Ryan Williams had a knee injury, didn't practice. And, you know, the guy he was competing with uh, was a fifth-year senior who transferred from Kansas and wasn't that great last year. But nonetheless, we're excited about Brad Kaya down here. And, of course, anytime you start an 18-year-old quarterback who's never played a college game before, uh, you enter into the realm of the unknown because based on what we know about his ability and based on what we know about the talent around him and wide receiver running back and tight end, we worry about the defense a little bit. But uh, I think Kane's fans, literally, if they lose this game, even if it's close, they will be disappointed. Alex, Louisville is missing Devontae Parker, their most talented player, I would argue. It appears they'll also be without their starting, or one of their starting running backs, in Michael Dyer. What is, other than the Bobby Petrino offense, which has obviously been very prolific over the years, what specific concerns does the Miami Hurricanes team seem to have headed into this game with, with this uh, Louisville team? I think uh, the biggest concern would probably be a linebacker. There's not much depth there behind uh, Denzel Perryman, who could be legitimately one of the best linebackers in the agency, if not the country, but there's not a lot of depth around him. So I think just the general concern is stopping people. Uh, you would hope that the defense is a little bit more cerebral than they were a year ago, because you know, when you hear from Al Golden over the last couple of weeks, it's obvious that he has a lot of respect the play call and ability of Bobby Petrino more than anything else. Also, a play call for Savant. Uh, we know how skilled he is when it comes to studying opposing defenses and really picking those apart. So I think the number one concern coming into this game, whether you know, Devontae Parker, even though he's out, Michael Dyer doesn't play, uh, I think that Miami is still concerned about giving up a lot of points and a lot of yards. And most people predicting the score for this game have both teams scoring in the 30s. So if it goes the way we expect, there's going to be a lot of offense. I think for Miami, they're simply thinking about just trying to outscore Louisville. Now, I know when a program like Kentucky basketball or the New York Yankees or the Miami Hurricanes, I mean, the Hurricanes have five national championships. You have very high expectations no matter what. Is there anything such, any example where this could be a moral victory despite losing tomorrow for the, the Hurricanes fans? Here's the way I think a lot of fans could take something away from that game. Now, me personally, I don't think I fall into this category because uh, I, I feel like it's a winnable game, and if Miami doesn't win, I think fans could be disappointed. But uh, if it plays out this way tomorrow night, if freshman quarterback Brad Kaya plays an excellent game, but Miami still loses, let's say the score is like 37-34 Louisville, but Miami plays an entertaining game, I think a lot of fans may wake up on Tuesday morning and feel pretty good about that. Uh, I, I don't know if that would be the majority of the fan base, but if you're looking for a scenario where there could be a moral victory, fans may come away after Monday night and say, okay, we didn't win the game, but we found our quarterback, so that's something. We can't go a whole entire interview and not mention that Miami's going to have Duke Johnson. 
What does that mean to this offense for them to have Duke, the center of the whole offense around Duke Johnson and what it could mean in this ballgame? It means everything. Uh, they didn't technically lose a game last year uh, with Duke Johnson playing a full game in that roster. Now, when Duke Johnson got hurt last year, it was the third quarter of the FSU game, and they were already you know down by a lot at that point. But, but Duke just can do everything, guys. And, of course, he can run between the tackles, outside the tackles. He can play special teams if they want him to. He can line up in the slot. I mean, he is Mr. Everything for Miami's offense. Uh, they've got another solid, solid playmaker, a wide receiver, and Casey Coley, who could do similar things. But uh, Duke Johnson adds an element to this game where I, I feel like Duke Johnson, not on the field, maybe takes at least a touchdown away from Miami's offense per game. Alex, I appreciate you joining us this morning. Before we let you go, we're, ba- we're basketball country here in the Louisville, Southern Indiana area. I'll ask, how is the Miami Hurricanes basketball program looking? They should be better this year. Uh, they were stuck in a tough spot a year ago where, uh, you know, two years ago they had that Sweet 16 roster that we thought could have gone a lot farther. I mean, with talent, you know, Shane Larkin and the guys, we were disappointed in only reaching the Sweet 16, but then, you know, Larkin left early. They had a bunch of seniors on that team that left, and last year you had a bunch of freshmen, and the team didn't do anything. Uh, we're expecting an older, more experienced roster. Uh, we're expecting to do a little something, but we understand we're probably still a year or two away. No question about it. Once again, Alex Dono of 560 WQAM in Miami. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Alex, and best of luck to you in the game tomorrow. Uh, best of luck. Thank you guys so much. Have a great Sunday. Yeah, actually, that Miami basketball team is going to have one of, the, one of the best freshmen in the ACC. So Jaquan Newton out of Philadelphia is, really? is a kid that can just straight out play. Did he play in the Derby Classic? He did not, uh, but he he was certainly in that in that kind of conversation in the discussion. And did he, what what All Star games? Do you know what All Star games he played in? Let me see. I, it was not like the Jordan game or anything like that. But he's so, one of the best. But he's he's a very very solid player. So he uh, didn't play in the McDonald's or the Jordan brand. No, but he's a he was a top fifty type high school player. Well, then why wouldn't he have played in any of the top All Star games? Well, he, most of the top All Star games are. Eaten up by the top thirty. That's true. So okay, you know he's but he's he was one of those guys that was one right on the bubble for that kind of stuff. As is a sophomore they've got out of Princeton, New Jersey, uh, Devon Reed, who I don't know if he had much of a I don't know how he did his freshman year, but they got they got some young players and they got some they got some older players where they could they could surprise some people. I don't you know they're definitely gonna be better. Jim Laranaga knows what he's doing. There's no question about that. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean he's a, he's a great basketball mind. So. Good stuff. I couldn't be more excited about the cards headed into the ACC. We got guys like Alex Dono and just a whole new world of what we're covering when we follow Louisville sports. You got a great baseball conference. The football is obviously a huge step up. But the on the ACC, basketball side, it's it's just the ACC is really good in every sport. I mean, they are solid in everything they do. They're they're one of the top conferences out there for sure. Across for across the board, they probably are the best conference. They're the best conference overall. When you look at I feel all, sports all sports across the board, yeah, okay, I'm and cool depth, with that. I would say yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, fair enough. We're actually going to head to our last break of the show. No. Ashley, Mike, and I appreciate you tuning in to the weekend sports buzz this morning. Be sure to stick with us for our last segment. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
get the job done. I don't know a no one that could cover for me. Yeah, got some game from my day. So she might say she love me, she don't love me like she said she love me. Believe me, believe me. I didn't the boy that love me in the street. I'm not the best. Motherfucker war shows a motherfucker press like that. One the rest. When they jumped off the porch, I was thumbing up the steps. I give what I collect before I give up my connect. It be a cold day. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Great show with our all-star lineup of Mike Gandolfo, Ashley Miller, and Kelly Patrick, myself. Also had Jeff Greer, the beat writer for the Cardinals for, for Courier Journal. Alex Dono of 560 WQAM in Miami joining us. During the break, we were talking a little bit about Mike. You said you remember back in the day when... when uh, the football team would just play ultimate frisbee. Well, no, I mean, what the the schedule was. This is when John L was coaching at Louisville, and I did go to Louisville, so uh, I graduated from U of L. The uh, and I was a trainer for the football staff, so we'd have the game Saturday. That's back when Louisville played on Saturdays, and then they were kind of Sundays was kind of just for coming in to get treatment and all that kind of stuff, kind of a day off, and then Monday was a real light day where they would basically just come in and play Ultimate Frisbee, and that would be everybody, like the managers, the trainers, the players, and the, the practice for that day was playing Ultimate Frisbee. That's what John L. wanted to do. Uh, Petrina was there at the time. Po- both Paul and, and Bobby were there. That's right, on the staff. And uh, so um, that's kind of what the coaches did, but I think the discussion was, you know, Louisville's going to have to turn around and, and really, uh, are they going to be able to have two days of recovery before they play Murray? Cause that's what brought yeah, it up. That's, that's what prompted be, it. Yeah. As Ashley said, it'll be such a quick turnaround. Five yeah, days between five days, the Miami days. and then Murray. I mean, we our show next week, we got two games to talk about. Yeah, we'll have both. It's true. So, I, it's, I, and I would say that it's probably more important to have those two days of recovery than it is to, for them to have that extra day of preparation for Murray just from the stacking effect of what that does for you down the road, especially right. when your schedule is getting notched up a bit Every way. and you can't really have those you know off week games that you uh, could have afforded last year. Sure, you're right. Oxmoor Ford Lincoln buzz line 502-384-1450. Got about 10, 11 minutes left in the show if you want to get in on the action. Other storylines we have not got to yet. Michael Ma- Sam got cut. Michael Sam was cut by the St. Louis Rams. Sad face. I, and I, and I, I was surprised. I thought if he made it this far, I thought if they thought that he was Gonna get cut, they would have done it in the second round of cuts. Just to kind of avoid it being like, oh, he was close and he got cut, and now people are, you know, could have whatever perception of him getting cut as it is. Because the bottom line, the guy played probably good enough to to make the team. I mean, yeah. um, but, I will say that he slightly annoyed me after he sacked Johnny Menzel and did the, did the money, money thing. I was like, really? That was way too much. But it was good for TV. Yeah, it was definitely TV. good for the fans. Um, I was surprised after that. Like, I felt like he had been performing really well. And he had been. He led the team in tackles. Well, yeah. And then, I, I, to me, it can only come down to is what they thought of him as a special teams guy. And I, you know, body wise and stuff like that, I thought he'd be a good special teams guy. But that doesn't mean he was. I mean, if you, it, 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 it doesn't mean that he was. But it also doesn't mean that there wasn't someone else on the team who fit that mold just a tad a little bit, bit better. better. And I guarantee you that I don't think it had anything to do with anything besides being a, strictly a football decision. And people, they want to win football games, even though the, they're going to be terrible this year anyway. Do you think um, the fact that, because you remember like initially before the whole like training camp and stuff, 
Um, there was a lot of talk about doing the reality TV show about him, and they said no because it would be a distraction from what was going on. Is it possible that that was coming back in the actual season? And they were like, I don't want to deal with that crap. Um, well, I wouldn't want to. There's no way that I would want, as an NFL owner or franchise or teammate, would I wouldn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Touch what? The, the reality show. Okay, well, even if it's not an actual reality show per se, I would argue the media coverage – I mean – this is the top story yeah. is that a fourth-round pick was cut by the Rams uh, today. That's like maybe the top story out there. So it's going to be a drama, soap opera atmosphere no matter what. Yeah. And the guys, you know, he's capitalizing off whatever he can capitalize off. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand the need to kind of come out. You know, I don't understand I think, that. Yeah, I think that that's something um, that would have been better suited for the locker room right. with the guys that are now like your brotherhood and your family or whatever. Um, Maybe I he could that, have handled it a little differently. Yeah, I think that he did himself a disservice by putting it out there at the time that he did. I think that it could have gone in his favor, but I think it kind of backfired on him. That's because fair. Because there's no one that thought Michael Sam was a fourth-round draft pick. Everyone I'm, thought... He he would go much higher initially, and then that happened, and then people were like, "I wouldn't touch that." Even um, I can't think. Tony of Dungy. Name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't even touch him." Just wouldn't because, take on the like, I wouldn't take on that responsibility or the distraction from the team. Like, so I'm confident that there's more. There's definitely probably more than one. Oh, man. absolutely. In oh, in the NFL, yeah. And I'm confident. And you know, there's some people that believe that there might even be a higher than what the average is. Like, if it's a 10% average, there's some people out there that, with their theory that it could be more closer to like 12 or 13 wonder what would lead people to think that. Well, and you think that the guys in the locker room know, and they know who those guys are. Kind of like they They may a, not just say nothing. They just may not say about it, like, publicly. And not that this, and this is total cliché. But it's not that much different than being in a women's athletics No, so it's the same. It yeah, you have great experience. Yeah, yeah. It, experience with that type of a uh, but but it, women's basketball you probably an issue that, that is the number one stereotype yes and i remember getting to berea and that was the number one question that was asked by men on campus like oh i heard you play basketball yes are you gay seriously like, i couldn't believe that but i mean i think that that's one thing that we all as teammates knew and there's um, some girls that feel i mean because i coach women's basketball mm-hmm. there's some girls that feel comfortable kind of coming out and saying who they are and there's mm-hmm. They're the same the same dynamics are are play there, but the the girls I just think are more uh, in depth at at handling it because they've had to handle it more, mm-hmm. you know, and and more openly. Yes. Why is that? It but, seems to be more accepted. But there's there's women. still straight girls that have the same legitimate fears that straight guys have. Sure. Yeah. Sure, and I think that like women are more women talk women we're talkers. So we're more likely to be like, hey, this is me. Or when we start talking about dating and those types of things, things come up. There are women that I played basketball with in college that were lesbian and no one outside of our locker room ever knew it. And I think that's the same in football or men's basketball or anything like that. There's probably more players that you that we would never, ever know about. But those guys in that locker room have a certain type of bond and they respect each other and so they just don't go blabbing everyone's business. And yeah. that goes back to the locker room stuff we were talking about in the first hour. Sure. You know, I mean... Stuff that happens it, in the locker room that people... It ties into a couple things we were talking about in the first hour. Bobby Petrino, for example, is a no-nonsense, win-at-all-costs type of coach. And I think a lot of football guys are like that to where if they think a gay guy or uh, any ethnicity, regardless of who you are, anyone, if they think that you can come in and help your team win, 
I don't see many coaches who are going to say, no, 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 no thanks. We don't want help no, winning. Exactly right. I mean, they, they ha- if they can help you win because you have to win to keep your job. Exactly. They're going to, I mean, that's your livelihood. It's if a results Rice, business. If Ray Rice, we all saw what he did. It's on videotape, and the entire world has seen it. Right. If he's still allowed to be suspended two games and is going to be able to be back with his team to help them win, someone's sexuality is probably way down the totem pole of stuff, as long as you're a good enough player to make an impact on the team. I would have totally agree. A little bit off topic, but a headline on ESPN is ESPN Chicago. Oakland Athletics are close to finalizing a trade that will bring Adam Dunn to the A's. So Billy Bean's concept of a very high on base percentage being the key to offensive potency. Adam Dunn does fit that bill. And you can have a DH spot. They lost Cespedes. He did, yeah, but he's not playing the field. He's not playing the field, but I'm saying that does give you a little bit of uh, flexibility in that who you decide to use your DH spot for. Yeah, I mean, I, the guy's a terrible outfielder, though. I mean, as, but you know what? Cespedes was not a great glove in the outfield, but man, he could make up he with, had a his, with his cannon, yeah, with his arm. So, uh, and and Adam Dunn really doesn't have that either. And I just, you know. Yeah, he could walk a lot, but his walks, what do they really do for you? I mean, him running They get a guy on base? They get a guy on base, but he's got to run those bases. And I just, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm a little surprised by that that, that move. Uh, But I got to be, you know, I've almost lost all interest in baseball at this point anyway. Have you because of the Reds? Yeah. What are the Reds over their last season? (laughs) Well, generally for me, baseball is my favorite professional sport, and the Reds just uh, are struggling. So, but, uh, but yeah, football season kicking off yesterday. I actually was at Notre Dame yesterday. Really? Oh yeah. Not just. Have you ever been there? I have not. I have and never been there. It is an experience that everyone needs to have if you're a college football fan. Mm-hmm. Just the the overall fan experience uh, is just amazing at Notre Dame. I do like the fact. Um, I'm not sure. Should I go as a fan when they're playing someone else, or when they're playing Louisville? Since it's now, um, well, that game is actually at South Bend this year, November. Right, and I'll and I'll give you my two cents on that so i've only been to wrigley field when they've mm-hmm. played the reds mm-hmm. and so i hate wrigley field mm-hmm. and i'm sure if i went like i went to fenway and i just didn't really care who i was cheering for they were playing the the tigers uh and i love i loved my fenway experience mm-hmm. so i guess i probably Maybe inter- yeah against another team not yeah louisville. not louisville but uh <laughs> and where you can really soak up everything but uh, with that being said there's a lot of rice people out there you know really taking it all in and one thing that really impressed me yesterday I don't know if you know this, Kelly, but one of the traditions at Notre Dame is when they come out of the tunnel, they run to the far end zone, they kneel down the end zone, they say a prayer, mm-hmm. whatever. There were some of the Rice guys doing that too, That's which cool. I thought was pretty That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But so the, uh, the Catholic guys were doing it? I guess the Rice Catholic guys. I don't know how Catholic, you know, <laughs> make it up their team is or not. So I, uh, but you know, being a Catholic, I think that's one of the reasons why I love going to Notre Dame because it's got to be one of the most Catholic places in the, United, in the United States, you know, not not even just from the football standpoint, but from like going to the Basilica and seeing all the Catholic relics and all that stuff that they have around. And That's why they're so popular. Absolutely. That's why they have so much power. I mean, if you had a Jewish university that participated in athletics, I would think, it's I mean, called be, Duke. Is that right? I think Duke's mostly Jewish. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either. Wow. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I'm out of turn, but I think they have a large okay. Jewish population. Wow. Well, that would explain a, a large part why they're so powerful. Um, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. 
What was I going to say? Oh, BYU. They yeah, have Utah. Mormons. They have big power because of everybody. Not every, but most more uh, many Mormons across the country and across the world support certain universities because of their faith. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was good. I mean, I think most football fans in general that would enjoy the history. You know, I would love to go to a game and see touchdown Jesus. Yep. First thing we saw on campus, you know, was touchdown Jesus. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of Louisville people at that U of L game when they play the Irish. Just because it's, you know, I said on the air, it's not hard to get tickets. Yeah, that was interesting when you said that last week, because it's not difficult to get tickets, to, get tickets to a Notre Dame game. In November. In November. And it w- actually, it wouldn't have been difficult to get tickets yesterday. I mean, uh, but there's such a large I Catholic, should go to a game. I would love to. There's such a large Catholic population in Louisville. That's going to be a really special, special day. How far of a drive is that? Took me uh, about four and a half hours. So That would be cool. That would be quite the experience. I've been to... To Wrigley Field, I went to see the Expos play, whatever the name of their stadium was up in Montreal. Olympic Stadium. What's that? It was Olympic Stadium. Was it? Yeah. Okay. I also went to Turner Field. I've been to Riverfront and great, uh, the Great American Ballpark. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a little bit more. Have you? <laughs> yeah. You've been to Fenway? You've been to Yankee I've been Stadium? To I've, not, I've been outside Yankee Stadium. I've not been inside. I've been outside Yankee, Yankee Stadium, too. Yeah. So, but yeah. It's, you know. I love going to those kind of places where you can kind of feel the history and, and to get to know the traditions of the of the that go it, on there. Is, it's like nothing it's else. Fantastic, and that's generally like one of my biggest things as a Kentucky football fan is to not have those types of in game traditions that can that all these other places have. Mm. Kind of it makes me a little jealous. You sure, know? and Louisville's the same way. They don't really have the real in game tradition that really kind of. You know, the train whistle, maybe, I don't know. We're wrapping the show up here. The Weekend Sports Buzz is brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Call 502-587-0041 to reach Brandon, the best personal injury attorney in the city of Louisville. It was our first show with our our new star-studded lineup, Mike Gandolfo, Ashley Miller, and myself, Kelly Patrick. Two weeks to Miss America, which is my favorite sport of all time. We'll be sure to cover Miss America, Patrick. So have a great rest of your weekend. Go cards.